in the Civil Rights Act of 1968, America does move forward. And the bell of freedom rings out a little louder. Hi there, this is A Little Louder, a podcast for wonks, housers, and rabble-rousers, where we talk about fair housing, community development, and how we can use these issues to build people power and work toward equity and justice. I'm Christina Rosales. And I'm John Henneberger. This is episode nine. Well, Christina, you're just back from the Rio Grande Valley. Tell us about what's happening there. Texas Housers has been involved with a campaign uh, in the Rio Grande Valley in Hidalgo County for a couple of years. And it's important to note that in the Valley, it's fully bilingual. It's a fully bilingual culture. It's hard to get by there, I think, if you only spoke English, to be honest. But it's probably easier to get by if you only speak Spanish. (laughs) Probably, yeah. Uh, You know, 85% of the people there speak Spanish at home and you know, more than a third of people there have limited English proficiency by census estimates. But the Hidalgo County Commissioner's Court meetings, almost all the meetings in the Valley are conducted only in English. And, you know, our community partners there, Lupe and Arise, have been fighting along with us uh, for two years to get interpretation services at the meetings uh, so that Colonia residents who mostly speak Spanish can understand. What's more basic in a democracy that when you go to talk to your local officials that you can communicate with them? That's right. So after two years of Colonia residents faithfully going to every, nearly every single meeting at the drainage district and at the commissioner's court and asking them for translation services, at the end of last year, Hidalgo County finally complied and made a plan to make those services available. And after a few more months of getting it together and getting a contractor and testing the services and refining the consistent quality of the services, we've won the campaign. And it's thanks to the persistence of these residents and former Texas Hauser Josue Ramirez, who really led on our front for, for this campaign. And this isn't a this isn't just a matter of uh, democracy in the abstract. The residents of uh, the Colonias have been going to the county commissioner's court to talk about serious flooding problems for years, uh, and uh, the folks that only speak Spanish basically are able to to testify, but not there's no interaction, there's no understanding about what's going on. With government and Christina, there's a very large proportion of people in these counties down along the border with Mexico who only speak Spanish. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's a big it's a big proportion, and you know it's it's interesting because the county commissioners, you know, they hear in the public forum from these residents, and right away they get translation, they get interpretation from a friend of the resident or some staff from Lupe or Rise. You know, the county commissioners immediately get what they what they need to understand, but the residents don't. And they have to rely on the kindness of a stranger who might be there who is bilingual or staff of, of, the, of the community organizing groups. And while it's immigrants that, uh, that, we, that most people usually think about as being Spanish monolingual, that's not, the ca- that's not the exclusive case in the Rio Grande Valley. There are tens of thousands of uh, U.S. citizens who are Spanish- who only speak Spanish or who have a very limited English language proficiency 
um, who basically can't engage with their government uh, without these type of services. You know, it's one of the things that's really annoyed me is that uh, when a bill was filed in the Texas legislature to require uh, that uh, interpretation services be provided in counties where there's large percentages of of people who don't speak English. Many of the county governments along the Rio Grande River on the Texas side, they actually affirmatively opposed the notion that uh, translation would be provided. It it is so it is so bad. <laughs> I can't think of the words for the the problem of a with a government that refuses to make it possible for their citizens to engage in democracy. Right. A good governance is a conversation with the people. And this isn't just about, uh, you know, complying with civil rights law. It requires that governments allow access and allow people who have limited English proficiency to provide accommodations for them. That's It's a civil rights issue uh, under the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VI, so that's for sure. It's like following the law. But this is at fundamentally about inclusion and about fairness and about saying that the people who live here, regardless of what color they are, where they're from, you know, the language they speak at home, that they, they are valued and their perspective and their participation in our government is valued. And it's important the way that this this came about because it only came about because people organized the and made the demands of county government. They respectfully made the demands by going to public meetings and asking that this take place. And we also have to credit the folks at Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid who provided legal assistance and advice to the members of Lupe and Arise to do this. So I guess our message is uh, congratulations, Hidalgo County, for stepping up and uh, making sure that democracy works in your county. And uh, Laredo and El Paso, we're looking at you now to uh, drop your opposition to doing this, uh, providing translation, and uh, do the right thing. That's right. Rest of Texas cities, the large populations of people who need translation. I hope you're next. Get with it. <laughs> so, Christina, uh, this week we saw a front page lead story on the Sandpiper Cove subsidized apartments in Galveston, Texas, in the Houston Chronicle. That's right. It was front page 1A, above the fold. And the person on our staff who's been working with the tenants at Sandpiper Cove is Erica Bowman, our community outreach, community organizing person. And Sandpiper Cove is something, is, is a situation that we've been aware of for some time. We've been working in Galveston for many years, more than a decade um, Sandpiper Cove is, I think, the last remaining HUD-subsidized development. So this is not public housing. This is privately owned, privately managed housing where HUD writes a check to the landlord every month for, uh, to subsidize the rent for low-income tenants. And this is sort of the, the last place you can go when you're poor and be able to get something that's affordable. The tenants pay a third of their income for rent to the the landlord, and HUD picks up the rest of the cost. 
This development has been severely troubled for many years. It flooded completely under Hurricane Ike. Um, the tenants lost all their furniture, all their clothing and the like. Most of them didn't get any help. Um, the uh, unit was rebuilt by the, uh, by the then owner of the development. And uh, people moved back in. Uh, there's a lot of complaints about the repairs not being done properly, not being done completely. Erica Bowman. I am a community organizer with Texas Housers. So a lot of them still have, like none of their apartments were even fixed since I kid. And um, they can show they have like uh, areas at the bottom of their, their floors. Miss Cynthia will be able to show as well of where she said, see, this is still from Hurricane Ike. I still have... Um, you can see where the water had rose up on this particular part of my home. So they still didn't go in and do the proper repairing. Like some of them homes, some of those apartments weren't even touched after Ike, even though they flooded. Erica, we know that uh, Sandpiper Cove has flooded on more than one occasion, uh, certainly flooded really significantly under Hurricane Ike and uh, has taken on water in other disasters. What happens to the tenants when uh, their apartments flood out? Because often they don't get proper reimbursement for that, whereas the insurance comes and takes care of the landlord. Isn't that right? Right. And um, they, they didn't even get any uh, assistance from FEMA, from what I've been told from some of the residents, that they didn't even get any, any type of assistance from FEMA. And uh, they did. They lost a lot of their furniture. So I think an important point to, to note about this is that, you know, when a, when a hurricane happens and residents are flooded out or they have, they, you know, their, their belongings are drenched in, in hurricane stormwater, you know, they, for someone who is of, uh, who is more affluent, who has uh, a higher amount of resources, you know, replacing a couch, you know, $400, $500 couch, not a big deal. But right. if you're, if you don't have enough resources, a four or five hundred dollar couch is actually a very big investment that, you know, you've just Absolutely. lost it. Yeah. The thing started coming unraveled again um, a year, year and a half or so ago, when the property changed hands and was under new management. The new management came in, promised to clean things up, but apparently didn't do much of anything. And this is all happening in the context of Galveston, where affordable housing is scarce. In 2008, Galveston Housing Authority uh, knocked down all of the housing units uh, that were flooded. So it was over 500, 500 and something units, public housing units that were on the, on the island. And more than 10 years later, Galveston has rebuilt roughly half and they're still, they still need to rebuild 287 units. So Sandpiper Cove has 192 units. It's the sort of housing of last resort. If you're waiting on the, on the waiting list for public housing or if you're waiting on the waiting list uh, for a voucher to take into the, uh, into the rest of the private market, this is all you have. Erica, I understand that a few weeks ago, the electricity went out at Sandpiper Cove. Do you know what happened and what the consequences are? We never really quite got the story to what happened and why the electricity went out. But um, for those four days, uh, the tenants had to endure some pretty uh, 
harsh circumstances. Uh, Cynthia, which is one of the tenants there at Sun Piper Cove, her husband is, has been really is really ill, and she and she is his care provider, and she wasn't able to um, feed him because of electricity without because of the devices that she has to use with electrical, um, and she didn't really know who to call or what to do. And so now uh, we're going to speak with the reporter who wrote that front page story, Sarah Smith of the Houston Chronicle. Sarah Smith, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. You had a front page story uh, about Sandpiper Cove. How'd you hear about Sandpiper Cove? It was always on my radar from like various meetings with housing advocates as something to look into. And then uh, Zoe Middleton of Texas Houser shot me a Twitter message saying, hey, they have been without power for several days. You might want to get down there and take a look. So you went out to Sandpiper Cove um, after or during the, the power outage. What did you see? What was it like? I went down a few times. I went in the midst of the power outage when they'd gotten a generator back up and when they were doing intermittent work. But a lot of the issues, the power outage was obviously an issue, but a lot of the issues I saw were unrelated to the power outage. I saw patches of mold that were bigger than my hand. Um, People's sinks were backing up. People sent me photos of backed up sewage, rats and mold. And then, of course, the power outage exacerbated everyone's issues. And they were saying that they had to throw out, I mean, if your power's out for up to almost four days and you have to throw out about $150-ish worth of food, they were saying, which if you're already on uh, low income, then that's, quite a lot of money. What we've been working on lately is working with subsidized apartment complexes. So uh, what we have been trying to do or wanting to do is go into these communities and get the stories of the residents who are living in these homes uh, that we have come to find out and actually we knew ahead of time are not um, the best living conditions. Actually, most of them are in hazardous, hazardous living conditions get their stories told so that um, people know exactly what's happening in these communities. And, and hopefully we can, we can, we're working as we're working now uh, to get something done about it. I spent some time uh, requesting records from the government. Sandpiper Cove, it's not a government owned property. It's a privately owned property under contract with HUD and they're supposed to get uh, two types of inspections relatively regularly. So I looked through those inspections to see what uh, various government inspectors at different times had found. And there hasn't been a formal inspection since 2016. There was supposed to have been one in late 2018, but the government shut down, put it off. So it's been rescheduled. So what was surprising to you about the inspections? So in some of the inspections, the score has gotten quite a bit better. Like over about a year, the score doubled. So it's passing now, which is at odds with, a ten- with what tenants say. Like tenants say it's gotten no better and maybe worse. But per the government inspection, it's actually doing so much better that it's now actually being inspected less regularly. What are these inspections called, and who who does them? So one of them is called MOR inspection, and that's a management and occupancy review. But that's basically 
more to look at whether they're in compliance with HUD standards for tenancy requirements, paperwork, occupancy, and that's done by a contractor from HUD. These MOR inspections noted that, like, hey, you haven't fixed problems in these X number of units brought up in your last inspection. What's going on with that? And the other type of inspection is called a REAC inspection. They take a random sampling of units and go into those units to kind of check off, like, okay, are we doing okay on smoke detectors, on um, like block entrances, does the exterior of the building look okay, Are there, um, how's the crime stats working, that sort of thing. Did you, did you get a chance to ask residents about these inspections or the management about how they're doing or anything like that? I tried to get an interview with the managers on the ground and they routed me up through corporate and I tried to get a phone interview with corporate and they said, send us questions. So I did and they just responded in very general statements that I didn't get any solid answers. It seems like this particular company's strategy is to buy these properties and then apply for low-income tax credits to do an overhaul, but they haven't gotten said tax credit for this property. So it seems like in the meantime, residents are going to be stuck with the the sink backups and the power outages and the mold while the owners wait for tax credits to do repairs. Last I checked with the residents, it hasn't, they say it has not gotten better. Erica, our listeners might sort of wonder if the conditions are that bad in this development, why don't the tenants just move someplace else? Uh, unfortunately, they don't have the, the income that's needed in order to get a market rent property in Galveston because there's really no other. I think uh, Sandpiper Cove is the only privately owned complex in uh, that's subsidized by HUD in Galveston. The listeners may also know that we're still in the process of trying to get more uh, more housing built, but the options aren't there. They they don't have the they don't have the the money. They don't have the income, and they don't have any choices. So, and because this is also a project based apartment complex, they're they're stuck there. So, because it's a project based uh, apartment, the vouchers are tied to the property and not to the tenants. Is that right? That's correct. A lot of them feel like they have no choice but to accept this 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 way of living. Now you know. Now now they're they're asking questions, and um, and we're informing them of different ways and different things that they can do in order to try to get their voices heard in hopes of management maybe coming in and uh, starting to fix and repair these conditions that they're living in, in hopes that um, you know HUD intervenes and uh, provides them with a safe, sanitary, and decent living that uh, HUD has promised them. What to you is, is the issue here? What to you is, is the problem that is going on uh, at Sandpiper Cove and very likely at a lot of other places, including Copper Tree and, and Arbor Court in Houston? I think there's a few things. Like one, I think there's a perception with low-income housing that it's okay, it's a roof over your head and you're low-income, so it's good enough, right? Like this is what you get. I think Houston in particular, there's just this theory, and there's been a theory for a long time, that Houston is a very affordable city. And that's true up to a point. But for anyone making slightly less than like average like area median income or maybe even at median income depending on the area that's absolutely not true 
And I think people are starting to realize that post-Harvey, but there hasn't been a history of action to address that. I mean, the city doesn't, unlike many of its counterparts, they haven't had a housing plan or a long-term strategy to deal with, okay, how are we going to long-term address the needs of not just low-income people, but moderate, average-income people? It's always, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything that's not obvious here, but Houston's always been a developer-friendly town. And most developers, the end goal is return on investment, not so much how can we do the most social good and make some affordable units for people. And I think that's just been the ethos of the town for like a very long time. The solution is complicated to to the Sandpiper Coves of, of the world. There's... Some people who are of the mindset, we need to close it down, it's not safe. But then there are a lot of people who, who say otherwise. What have, I mean, what have you heard? Yeah, so there's, in the, taking a broader view, like in the situation of affordable housing complexes, whether privately, publicly owned, that people say are just uninhabitable. There's a lot of people who just say, nope, we need to shut this down immediately. But on the other hand, it's not like there is a plethora of affordable housing to put people into. So a lot of people say it's actually harder to just shut it down than you'd think it is because then where do those hundreds of people living in the complex go? They're likely to end up homeless. There's all of these issues that tenants are dealing with. You know, there's there's the issue of the poor housing quality, uh, you know, f- the dangers that this apartment poses to these residents, you know, what ideally in an ideal world as advocates and keeping in mind the residents we work with, what is, what is the solution? How do we solve this crisis that these families are going through nonstop every day? All all that I know is that um, there has to be some action taken, immediate action taken. Um, These families are, are, are in desperate need of, of help and the, the continuous conversation of, of figuring this out is just taking way too long. We need those that are in power and to, to be able to make something happen. We need them to step up and do just that. Um, these families, they're not asking for much. They're not. They're, they're, on, they're asking for the necessities. They're asking for a safe home. They're asking for a, a place where the children can go outside and play. They're asking for a place to where at night they're not um, they're not worried about um, a, a break in uh, or, or they don't have to hear the sounds of gunshot outside of their homes. Um, you know, they're asking for a, an environment that doesn't pose a risk to the health of them and their children. Uh, they're asking for a place that they can call home and they can have some kind of pride, a pride in going into. That's that's all that they're asking. 